We're in the sixth week of our series where we're going through the book of 1 John. And I will just ask you, are you enjoying going through God's word like this together? You are. Okay, good. I wasn't sure how I would respond if you said no. I'd probably just go ahead anyway. But it is good and it's encouraging because God's been speaking to us, right? God's laying stuff out before us right in our path that's just super clear and easy for us to get into. So I'm excited. We're about halfway through this series and God's going to say lots more things to us. So wear your seatbelt. Okay, anyway, we're... uh, we're exploring in this series, what we've seen so far is this big question, what does it mean to truly live? How many of you really want to live while you're alive? You don't want to just float along, you want to live. Well, we've seen that biblically speaking, the root of all of that is to be connected in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is to truly live. And then everything else that happens in, the, in our lives all around us then happens in the context of us doing life with him and for him. So that's the root of it all. That's the nerve center of it all. And we've talked about ways that you can tell you're on track with this life too. Remember we talked about how like if you, uh, the regular confession of sin as a Christian is a sign that we're on track, right? You remember that one? Okay, Um, we've talked about how obedience to Christ is a sign we're on the right track. We talked about how when we love one another in the church, that it's a sign we're on the right track. All these are good. What we're going to do this week, we're going to flip the script a bit. Instead of talking about how we can tell we're on track, we're going to see today in our text that there's players in the game who are trying to get us off track. Somebody say off track. And uh, because here's what happens. We come to Christ, we say, yes, Jesus, I want to walk this path, I want to walk this life you have for me, and as you start to do that, I guarantee all of us have had this in some capacity, you find that there's these factors, these voices, these influences, these things, whatever they are, that seem to just be pulling at you to take you off track. And so that's what we're going to see in our text today. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 2, Verse 18 is where we'll start. 1 John 2, 18. Now, while you're finding that, I'll give you an analogy to kind of set this up. How many of you have seen the movie Pinocchio? Have some of you not seen the movie Pinocchio? Is that what I'm to understand? A few of you. Wow. Wow. Church movie night coming up. Wow. I, any, just for the record, like, I don't really care if about, like, it's not like my favorite movie, but I thought everyone had seen that. Anyway, wow. Okay, you at least know the story. Okay, Pinocchio is this wooden puppet and he's brought to life. He's given this new lease on life. Everything's great. He can talk, he can walk, no strings. He can think, do all that. And he's expressly told, like Jiminy Cricket and others, tell him, okay, here's how you like walk that path. You've got this new lease on life. Here's how you kind of live that out. Here's what you, you know, go to school, be honest, things like that. And as soon as Pinocchio starts to do that, what you see is there's all these bad apples, these unsavory characters start showing up. And it seems like their whole point is just to get them off course. So you've got, for instance, Honest John the Fox, ironic name if there ever was one. You've got uh, Gideon the Cat. You've got Stromboli, who has eaten a great quantity of Stromboli in his day. Just saying. We've got uh, the coachman. You've got that lampwick guy. And all of them are trying to get Pinocchio mixed up and messed up. And basically the whole movie, 
without giving you too many spoilers, you non-Pinocchio people, it's basically Pinocchio makes series after series of bad decisions that completely make a train wreck of his life. And then he gets it back together. Oh, and he's made a bad choice over here and he's another train wreck. Let that not be us. We, as Christians, are a people who have been given a new lease on life. Would you agree? We are a people who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been brought from death into life from darkness into light. Let us not be a people who are easily swayed and, got, and, and, and sent off track, you know, at the drop of a hat. Let that not be us. So with that, okay, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. It starts out by saying this, children, it is the last hour. So let's even just pause on that for a second. When we hear words like the last hour, or you might be reading through your Bible and see things like the last days or last times, we rush to this end timesy kind of language, right? And here's what happens when we come into stuff like that that's kind of referencing the end times, end days. There's a couple extremes we can go to. One is we rush to this side. We make a beeline to like an obsession over end time stuff. And it's all we can think about. We're just consumed with it. We're watching YouTube videos. We're making YouTube videos. We're making big charts with dates and you know, events that we're loosely tying to scripture and all this. I'm not saying it's not profitable to think about the end time stuff, but here's the problem. When we're over on this extreme, just obsessed over it, what happens is sometimes we can forget to live in the present day, in the present hour. And you know what I'm saying? Like, what does God have for you to do and to be today? It's not all about what's happening in the end. Like, you have a life today. The other extreme, when we kind of come to this last hour language, is we freak out and we get scared and intimidated by it and we bury our head in the sand and pretend like it doesn't exist. Somebody says, that's more like me, right? We don't have to obsess over it, nor do we have to fear it. Let's talk about it a little bit. Because um, as Christians, like, we can take a healthy perspective of that term. So what we know about this is that the last days, the last times, the last hour, that's referring to a period of time between Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and his return. Okay, here's the deal. Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sins. He was buried in the grave, but he rose from the grave in victory. He ascended into heaven in glory, and that's where he is right now. He's ruling and reigning. He's doing great, but he's going to come back again one day. How many of you know Jesus is coming back, right? Your hands were just right lightning fast. Great job. Yes, Jesus is going to come back. And when he does, he's going to bring this age to a close. And those of us who believe in him and belong to him will go to be with him forever. So that'll be a good day for us. But in this middle ground, that's where we live. That's the last hour. Now, this book was written 2,000 years ago. It was the last hour then. It's the last hour now. We don't know how long it's going to last. It could be another 2,000 years. It could be tomorrow. We don't know. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but here's the point on this. The point is not, how do I figure out when Jesus is coming back? The question is this, are you ready for when Jesus comes back? Do you know Jesus today? Do you belong to Jesus? Have you surrendered and submitted to Jesus? Because that is the relevant question. So it's the last hour. And one of the things we see in this last hour, one of the sort of marks of the last hour is this. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. 
Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Okay, I just have to let you in on a little conversation I had this week with Lori. I think we were driving around, and I said, I took one week off from preaching. By the way, Jeff did a great job last week, amen? He did a great job. I said, my easy on-ramp back into, you know, the message this week is to talk about antichrist. So that's great. I said to Lori, I said, why didn't I give this one to Jeff? (laughs) However, I'm teasing because there's a good word in here and there's stuff for us to learn in here. uh, So I'm happy to do it. But it was just kind of like, oh, the timing of that. Um, So antichrist, there's another word you can hear. And some people go, ooh, and they really, you know, Dig into that really deeply. And sometimes we hear it and we go, ah, I'm staying away from that one. Again, we don't have to, we can take a healthy perspective on this word. Um, Even though it's sort of an ominous, sort of apocalyptic sounding word, uh, there's stuff in here for us. So just look at that word antichrist that's there. The first, uh, the, the prefix of that word, the first four letters of that word are? Yeah. That was a very misleading question. Yeah, but you answered it right. Anti-Christ. Anti simply means against, counter to. So to be anti-Christ, I mean, the the nature of that just means it's against Christ, uh, opposed to Christ, uh, on the other side of the line as Christ. That's what that word means. And the heart, if you're writing notes, the heart of anti-Christ is to lead people away from walking with Jesus. The heart of antichrist is to lead people away from walking with Jesus. And that's a problem, I mean, on many levels, but if nothing else, like we've already established in God's word that to truly live means you're walking with Jesus. And antichrist is leading you away from Jesus. That's an issue. And there's all sorts of antichrist activity excuse me, in the world, whether it's the direct work of Satan or the demonic or it's people who are just outright, you know, strongly opposing or denying or rejecting Jesus, or maybe it's even the things that come along and subtly distract us or try to get us veered off course. All of this stuff is stuff that leads us away from walking with Jesus. So it's in this swirl of sort of anti-Christ activity. So I want to make four points about antichrist today. Number one is this, that just to note the difference between antichrist, singular, and antichrists, plural. So they're from the same camp. Like if you're reading your Bible and you see antichrist or antichrists with an S at the end, it's all in the same camp. Like it's all leading away from Jesus, against Jesus. But there's a difference between the two. There's the antichrist, Singular. So when you read your Bible, there are places like in Second uh, Thessalonians 2, it talks about the man of lawlessness, uh, sort of one figure. Places in Revelation sort of uh, give picture of one figure, one person rising up kind of with a lot of power and influence and, and really strongly rejecting the message of Christ. That's, what, that's the singular, that's the Antichrist who's going to come. There's also the many Antichrists, uh, plural. And in our text right there, it says, many antichrists have come. So that's the group, the plural, with the antichrists, uh, that's who we're talking about in our text today. That's who John is getting at. Number two, antichrist involves a denial of the Father and the Son. It's a, de- it's a denial of who God really is. If you look at verse 22, it says, who is the liar 
but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So sometimes this Antichrist activity goes right to the level of, again, it's just overt, right out there, loudly, strongly rejecting Jesus, denying Jesus, denying God. And that happens today. There are things that we come across, like, for instance, atheism, which says there is no God at all. Well, that's to deny the Father and the Son. There are, there are other religions that pipe up. They say Allah is God, or Buddha is God, or Krishna is God, or Mother Nature is God, or God is inside of you. That's to deny the reality of the Father and the Son. That's to deny who God really is. And all of this stuff, including other things like government policies that come along and they're just counter to, to Jesus, or, or the cultural ideologies that crop up and seem like, wow, this is not in line with God at all. All of this stuff really is a denial and a, and a diminishing and a taking away from who God really is or an attempt to. So again, I, I will just emphasize, one of the marks of antichrist is a denial of Jesus. And it says right in our text there, the person who does this is a liar. It's a lie. The, the voices or the people or the government policies or the cultural ideology that tries to push Jesus to the side or reject or diminish him, it's deception. It's a lie. In other words, it's, it's counter to the design and function of our lives, which is to make much of him. This is trying to make little of him. And if I could say that even a different way, I would say this. If you really want to live, you already raised your hands, I saw you, and you said you wanted to live. If you really want to live, you need Jesus, and you need to see Jesus for who he really is. You need to see that Jesus is God eternal and God everlasting. He's always existed and will always exist. You need to see him as the Lord Most High. You need to see him as the God who entered into human history to deal with our mess. He had no mess. He came to deal with our mess. You need to see him as the one who lived without sin, the life we have not lived. You need to see see him as the one who died on a cross in our place as our substitute. You need to see him as the one who took on the full weight of God's wrath for our mess. You need to see him, though, not only as the one who died, but the one who rose victoriously and made a mockery of darkness and the grave. You need to see him as the one who has ascended into heaven in glory, who is ruling and reigning right now, who is seated on a throne, being praised day and night, and he's the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Is that how you see Jesus today? Yes, that's our Jesus. And anything less than that, anything short of that is to align yourself with this anti-Christ mentality. It's a denial, it's a diminishing of who God really is. And obviously we don't want to do that. Number three then, this anti-Christ stuff involves deception. So verse 26 in our text says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Now, this is the fun part. This is participation time, okay? How many of you have made cookies before? Okay? Some did not raise their hands. They're the non-baking types. That's okay. So we all have ovens in our houses or places of residence. I want to hear from you now. When you make cookies, I want to hear from you. It's a two-part question. 
what temperature is your oven at and how long do you leave the cookies in for? Somebody? 350 for 12 minutes, what else? 20 minutes at 350? Yeah, okay. So this week, this is not a lie, this is not a joke, this week we made cookies. And this is, this is how it happens every time. We made cookies and the oven was set at 275. The cookies were in for six minutes and the bottom was overdone. Because our oven runs really hot, which we learned kind of the hard way earlier on, but now we're used to it and we can kind of, you know, compensate for that. But it looks like anybody else's oven. Well, unless you have a fancy oven. Ours isn't very fancy, but it functions just like any other oven. You turn the dials, right? But it's deceptive in its function. Now, some of this stuff about Antichrist, by the way, you're welcome to make cookies anytime. <laughs> Not allergy, though. Just we'll edit that part out. Um, this Antichrist stuff, some of it, like we've identified, is overt. It's just out there. It's straight up. You can see it. You can hear it and go, oh, that is, that is not legit. I'm not buying that. I'm not going near that. But sometimes the activity of Antichrist is covert. It's sneaky. It's deceptive. And the thing about being deceived is that it's sneaky. Like you don't go, oh, I think I'll be deceived today. There's something obvious I should stay away from. Oops. That's not what deception is. It's you didn't see it coming. You couldn't tell the difference. Well, the problem for John's readers in his day is that there were false Christians prowling around and they were saying, hey, we've discovered the secret sauce. We know how to have an experience with God. Oh, you were told it's Jesus only? Well, I mean, that's not really true. It's Jesus, you know, plus this other stuff. Here's, you know, let's evolve our thinking. Let's get enlightened here. And you go, oh, I don't know. Like that doesn't sound immediately sketchy, but it is. And we see this, I just want to tell you about this. We see this in our age today, this sneaky, covert stuff, for instance. And it might even have the word Christian in it. Like it might look perfectly normal. There are things like uh, Christian science. You go, oh, I, don't, I like Christ and I like science. That probably is legit. It's not at all. There are things like New Age Christianity. Oh, I'm a Christian. I mean, that sounds cool. No. There are things like Christ consciousness. Have you ever heard of Christ consciousness before? I won't go, I mean, I could go on and on about that. Here's just a little excerpt about Christ consciousness. It teaches that Jesus was just a regular guy, but he was enlightened. He became enlightened because he was able to tap into the higher consciousness and, you know, get away from his animal instincts and connect with the divine, which, you know, the divine is inside of us all. And all we need to do is kind of do what Jesus did and we can become enlightened ourselves. That is total garbage. It's total, total garbage, but it has the word Christian in it, Christ in it. So if we're not careful, we can fall prey to deception. That's what I'm telling you. And this is the activity of Antichrist. Whether it's leading you away from Jesus altogether, or again, maybe it's got the word Jesus in it, but it adds other stuff. Listen, Jesus said, whoever is not for me is against me. And by the way, to be for Jesus means you're for only Jesus. So we've got to watch out for this stuff. Number four then. This one's a bit sobering, but it's very true. We need to be aware of it. The, the Antichrist kind of stuff can come from inside the church. And I don't just mean our church, I mean the church all over the place. 
Verse 19 of our text says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So again, John's readers, one of the things they were experiencing a couple of thousand years ago, and it happens today, is people had been hanging around the church, might have looked like they were Christians, you know, they have the appearance maybe, but they weren't internally, and they were actually leading others astray. See, the problem is people can get into the church who Satan plants there, and they can gain influence and trust with people. Tragically, sometimes people can end up in leadership positions in the church and just do incredible damage. This happens today. Like, this is a word for us today to be on alert for. Because here's, here's the problem. Again, it's deceiving. We can't just look at someone and go, I know your heart. I see your heart. Oh, you're thinking a wicked thought. I see your thoughts. Ooh. Like, we generally can't do that. True? God is the one who searches the mind and heart. Here's what we can see is the fruit. We can see the results. We can see someone's actions or their deeds. You can always tell a tree by its fruit. And what this is saying here is that if these people had legitimately been of us, been Christians, been of the household of faith, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So if they were legit Christians, they would have stayed in the flock. Legit believers persevere in the faith and they don't walk out on their faith. I don't mean you never go through a dry spell or whatever. We're talking just a total walking away from. Legit Christians don't do that. Now, let's just make sure there's no confusion here. This does not mean that anyone for any reason who goes out from our church is an antichrist. Okay? Oh, like, you've, you've started to go somewhere else? Well, oh, you've moved away? You don't live here? Well, tell the devil I said hello, right? No, oh, oh you know, you, you're sick or you're, you know, COVID, immunocompromised? Well, antichrist. Like, let me get you a name tag. No. Okay, obviously not. Okay? This also doesn't mean we should just always instinctively assume the worst of people, right? Like we're always looking at people funny and, you know, suspiciously and you're an antichrist until you're proven innocent. No. What this is telling us to do is to be on our guard because this can happen if we're not paying attention because Satan is at work. Satan is trying to get a foothold in the church. Satan is trying to lead people away from Jesus. And if we're not alert, we won't even see it coming. So all of this, all these points about Antichrist, let's sum up. We're gonna talk about other things than Antichrist today. So here's where we're at. Again, Satan is at work all over the place. Satan is at work in the world. Satan is trying to be at work in the church. And if we give him a foothold, he will happily take it. Exactly. And so this is a warning for us to be a people of discernment and good judgment. This is a warning to us. Like, listen, you can't believe everything you read, everything you see and hear. Guess what? Not everything on the internet is true. I mean, probably 99% of it's true. No, right? No. So who are you listening to? Who are you being influenced by? Who are you taking your cues from? Like, is it the Lord? 
That would be the ideal scenario. Is it the world? Is it the culture? Is it some sort of fringe, you know, seemingly weird Christian-looking thing? Is it the popular TV preacher who some people don't like for some reason? Like, who are you listening to? Because if you are filling yourself with the wrong voices and the wrong influences, you're that much more likely to be led astray and get caught up in this. And what we don't want to see in our lives is to look up one day and go, oh, I'm lined up on the other side than Jesus. I'm wearing the wrong colored jersey. I've been, I've been you know, caught up in all this anti-Christ activity. I haven't been living the life that God has for me. That's what it boils down to. God has a life for you, and it's a life of walking in relationship with Jesus, not getting caught up in this stuff. That's the life that I want. Does anybody want that life today as well? Okay, good. So that's anti-Christ. Let's move on then. And we'll talk encouragement. John's going to talk to those who are faithful. He's going to talk to real Christians. Do you know there is such thing as real Christians? That doesn't mean if you're a real Christian that you're to look down your nose at other people or you're you know, on a pedestal or you're better than them. No, this is just going to see what we're going to see in our text. It just is going to go to show that you can tell the difference between what's true and what's false. That's what's going on. So number one about real Christians, I got five. Real Christians have the Holy Spirit. So in our text, verse 20, it says, but you, he's talking to the, those who belong to the household of faith, you have been anointed by the Holy One, is what he says. Now, when it says you've been anointed by the Holy One, what does that mean? That word anointing, I'm not sure about that. Here's, here's all that means. Anointing is all through the Bible, and it's, it's a practice of, it's an act of setting something apart, consecrating something, dedicating something. So for instance, in 1 Samuel, Saul is anointed to be the king of Israel. He's taken aside, he's covered, he's earmarked, he's destined to be the king. So this is saying we as Christians have been anointed. We have been set apart. We have been covered by something. We have been uh, earmarked for something. And we've been done so by the Holy One. Well, his name isn't expressly mentioned here, but this is likely a reference to the Holy Spirit, being anointed in the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. When we come to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. True or false? true. All is very clear in the New Testament. You come to Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's how it is. The Holy Spirit is God. God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity. And so when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. It's a cool, supernatural, miraculous thing, but that's the reality. Now, of course, we can foolishly neglect the spirit or grieve the spirit or not listen to the spirit ignore the spirit that's to our detriment but the point is still there like if we're christians we have the holy spirit and you say well is that good news for me what does that mean what does the holy spirit do what is that going to benefit me well the holy spirit has all kinds of functions that we see in scripture for instance um, in john 14 26 he's called our helper or our advocate so he helps us. He advocates for us. Does that sound good to anybody? If you're like me, you need a lot of help. So yes, that's good news. Um, in Romans 8.26, it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. He helps us pray. That's good. Sometimes I need help praying. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. So if we need wisdom and understanding, we do. 
The Holy Spirit brings those things to us. He's called the Spirit of, he's called the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit brings all of these things to light in our lives. And there's many more. One of my favorites, though, and relevant to what we're talking about today, John 16, 13. It says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. How much truth? All truth. Some truth. No, all truth. The Holy Spirit guides us to all truth, which leads us to number two. Real Christians know the truth. Verse 20, it says, remember, you've been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. That doesn't mean that you know everything about everything, by the way, brainiac, right? Still have lots to learn. I write to you, verse 21, not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. You do know it and because no lie is of the truth. Now, what that doesn't mean also is, oh, if I read that and I'm a Christian, but like I don't have the Bible, like, mem- like all knowledge, I don't know, like does that mean I'm supposed to have the Bible like memorized in three languages, like some, be some Bible scholar? No, that's not what that means. What that means is that real Christians know everything they need to know to be able to stay faithful. We're always gonna be learning. We're always needing to grow in our knowledge, but we have what we need to be able to stay faithful. Um, it says, in verse 21, like it says there, no lie is of the truth. And as a people who have the Holy Spirit, who guides us into how much truth? All truth. Front row was fast on that one, just saying. Guides us into all the truth. That means we have everything available to us at our disposal to be able to sniff out truth versus lies or right versus wrong. We don't have to say, well, I'm completely in the dark here. No, we have the Holy Spirit who guides us into the truth so we can know the difference between truth and lies. You tracking with me so far? Because there are truth and lies out there. You know what I'm saying? There are truth and lies out there. Verse 22 has one. Who is the liar that, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Again, the lie is that you can look somewhere other than to Jesus for life, for salvation, for freedom from sin. That's a lie. That's anti-Christ. That's resisting of Christ. And we as Christians have everything we need to be able to tell the difference, which is good news. Number three then, real Christians confess Jesus. Somebody say confess. Verse 23 says, no one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. That word confess We've talked about that a little bit. It simply means to acknowledge. It simply means you acknowledge something, you bring it into the light, you bring it into the forefront and the foreground of your life. That's to confess something. It's not to, it's the opposite of hiding something or burying something or diminishing something. No, you're bringing that sucker out in the open. You're acknowledging it just right out there. That's to confess. This is saying that real Christians confess Jesus. And just to be clear, that does not mean that Jesus is some peripheral figure to you. Like, I go to church once in a while, I, you know, might say a prayer before a meal, you know, I don't know. No, this is confessing Jesus is, he's my center, he's my rock, I'm walking with him, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, he's my friend, he's my master, he's at the center of my life. That's what it means to confess Jesus. And it says it very plainly, 
Again, in verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. So if you don't confess Jesus, you don't have God. You don't know God. You aren't in a relationship with God. You aren't living the life that God has for you. No confession, no God. That's what that's saying. And again, it doesn't matter if you go to church or if you're a good person or you're living your own truth or whatever. You need Jesus. You need the confession of Jesus. That's what we need to see. Real Christians do this. And because if you do confess Jesus, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You know what that means? Whoever confesses the Son has everything. That's everything. You confess Jesus, you have everything you need. You have salvation. You have freedom from your sin. You have joy. You have hope. You have peace. You have a relationship with God. You have an eternity to step into now and look forward to. You have a life. I say it again, God has a life for you and it is paved by the confession of Jesus as Lord. Have you confessed that Jesus is Lord? And again, that doesn't just mean, have you know, done it the first you know, initial, I wanna get saved. Like, how's your confession these days? Number four then, real Christians cling to the gospel. Verse 24 says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What you heard from the beginning, that's a reference to the gospel. That's the original news, the original good news that we need to hear right at the first of everything in order to get saved, right? The gospel. And it is the news that, hey, there is a God out there. He created everything, including me. It's the news that says, oh, I have rebelled against that God. I have sinned against him. I have separated myself from him and distanced myself from him. And that has put me on the path of his wrath. That is subjecting me to condemnation and death. The gospel is the news, though, that even in spite of that being our situation, God loves us. We sang earlier, how great is his love. God loves you today. And he loves us so much that he wants to come and clean up our mess because it's such a mess, we can't clean it up. You can't clean it up. Forget about it. God loves us so much that he gave of himself. He gave his one and only son, his very best, to come down and to fix our problem. Jesus, the, the gospel set, teaches us that Jesus died on a cross in our place for our sins. It teaches us that he went into the ground, dead, buried, but he rose in victory. It's the news that he is greater than sin. He is greater than death. He is our hope. It is the news that now we're called to look to him for the forgiveness of our sins and for salvation and for eternity and for a life. That is the gospel. Somebody help me. Are you thankful for the gospel today? Yes, we ought to be. Listen to me. This is saying, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. There's the word abide again, 6,000 times in the book of 1 John. Abide means get with, stay with, focus on, camp out in, continue with. That's what abide is. That's the life we're called to, abiding in Christ. So what that tells us, if we're to abide in the gospel, that means you never graduate from the gospel. Sometimes we can wrongly look at the gospel like it's the training wheels on our bike. You know, you have them on so you don't tip over, but once you're steady on your bicycle, you take them off and you don't need them anymore. That's not what the gospel is. We're to abide in that for our whole lives because it is the truth. It is a reality. It is a life. The gospel is. 
We need to be all about the gospel. Be all about the fact that Jesus is Lord. Be all about the fact that we are his people. Be all about the fact that he has saved us and forgiven us and freed us. Be all about the fact that we're not defined by our past, by our mess anymore, but we're defined by what he has done for us. We need to be all about the fact that he is coming again and we're going to walk with him until that day comes. That's what abiding in the gospel is, and real Christians do this. Real Christians swim in that pool all the days of their life because we need that. I, I've been a Christian for 16 years. I need the gospel still. Some of you have been for much longer than that. You need the gospel still because it's good. God is good. Number five, this is our last one. We're gonna start coming in here now. Real Christians persevere. One more time, say persevere. Persevere. You, here's what you don't need. You don't need me to stand up here and tell you that life is hard, right? I think we can all agree on that. The last year, it's been kind of hard in many ways. You probably also don't need me to tell you that sometimes being a Christian is hard, especially when you seem like you're off on an island. It seems like even God seems distant. It's, it's when you are coming into hardship expressly because of your faith. In those times, we can be tempted to just throw in the towel and say, this isn't worth it. I can't do this. And stop walking the path that Jesus has for us. Real Christians, stay the course. Again, this does not mean nothing bad ever happens to you. Oh, something bad happened to me. I must not be a real Christian. No, the mark of a real Christian is not that bad things never happen to you. It's that you persevere faithfully walking with Jesus through the bad times. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. That's the truth. And real Christians acknowledge this and remember this. So verse 24, I'll start on 24 again. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Camp out in the gospel. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you keep on in that, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Oh, that's good. If I keep going, if I abide in what's been put in front of me, I'll have a relationship with God. I'll have a life. That's a promise in Scripture. Don't miss that. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Remember we talked about eternal life a few weeks ago? Somebody says, no. Well, we did. We said eternal life is more than just an issue of quantity, like it goes on forever. It does. But it's also an issue of quality. It's a good life. It's a full life. We also said that eternal life, while yes, it is you know, part of the next life, it also can start in the here and now. John 17, 3. I just go back to that all the time. This is eternal life, to know God, is what that verse says. And we can know God here and now. We'll know him fully in the age to come, but we can know him here as well. We can have a relationship with him here as well. And then one day as we're, you know, we're we're continuing on in this, one day this eternal life will be fully realized and we'll get to participate and partake in it. It's awesome. So keep going. God has a life for us. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Don't get fooled. Don't be easily lured off the path. Verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. That doesn't mean you don't need to hear another sermon. 
We're going to keep having sermons because we do need to hear them. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true, remember the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You're really seeing that language of abide more now, and it's going to be all the way through the rest of this book. Here's the deal. Actually, the band is going to come up. band is coming up. As we read this last bit here, it funnels us toward a choice. Because, again, when we hear the word of the Lord, we have to respond to it. We don't want to just sit here and say, uh, we've got to respond. And this word from God today is leading us, funneling us toward a decision, toward a choice. And essentially it's this, will I stay the course or not? We can choose at any point in our lives. We can choose to take our eyes off of Jesus. When things are good, when things are bad, doesn't matter. We can make that choice to take our eyes off Jesus and get distracted and you know, get dabbling in other things, other so-called truths. Those things lead us away from Christ. That is the attitude and the heart of anti-Christ. And I just wonder, because I love you guys, so I will say this. Like, I wonder if some of us have done that. I'm not saying, you're not a Christian. No, but I'm saying, are we distracted? Are we pushing forward in our faith? Are we seeking the Lord? Are we doing what we can do to really pursue him? Remember, we talked about spiritual disciplines a couple months ago. Like, are you in your Bible? Are you in prayer? Are you seeking the Lord in worship? We're gonna do that in a minute, by the way. It's gonna be fun. Because anything that we do to take our eyes off Jesus, any, any lack of focus on Jesus or any keeping Jesus at arm's length, listen, that's to our detriment. That's to, that's to subtract from the life that God has for us. That's not what I want for you guys. So we need to be a people who are pursuing the Lord. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, it says. So listen, if you've been floating along, if you've been distant from the Lord, if you've been coasting, if you've been distracted, God wants a relationship with you. He wants a life for you and he has it if we would seek him. The other choice then is just that. We really go after it. We really pursue the Lord. We, we, we don't say, I'll just coast, you know, chips will fall where they may. No, it's I'm going to intentionally double down on my confession that he is Lord, that he is my Savior, that he is my God. He is the one I follow. He is the one I worship. We can intentionally, again, do things like read our Bibles, pray. We can carve out time for worship. Just so you know, we don't do this on Sunday because we've got nothing else to do. You know what I mean? Like when we worship, when we really dig into that, like God meets with us. God does a work in our heart and in our minds. We can choose to do that. And we're gonna do that right now. 